the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Good morning, everyone. Uh, My name's Johnny Baker. Can I just echo um, everything that's just said there? It's incredible. Um, It's incredible for... Wow, that was loud. It's incredible for... Um, when we see people move from darkness to light, become followers of Jesus. It's also incredible for Christians. It's like rocket fuel in your faith. That's, I think that's a phrase I used in a meeting the other day. It's honestly been the best thing in this calendar year. Hannah and I have done just seeing people become followers of Jesus. It's, um, selfishly, it's just really, really good for you today. Um, uh, my name is Johnny Baker, I say. I'm a member of the leadership team. This is quite echoey. Is that all right? Can the PowerPoint go up, please? Is that all right? Um, what a week. Uh, what a week we've had. I, um, I don't know how you personally feel about this. I appreciate there's probably a range of emotions uh, in this room as we've seen um, the last 10 days unfold. Just on a personal level, um, I found it really upsetting. Um, I, I think I'm like many people who this has just stirred lots of stuff about people we've lost in our lives. Um, last Sunday morning, I was in bits as we sang the last few songs. It just memories of my mum came flooding back. Um, two distinct memories of my mum was that uh, Holby City, shh, be quiet, I'm watching Holby City, and the Queen's Speech. You couldn't speak in the Queen's Speech. And I know there'll be many people in here who, who have been, had things sort of unlocked in the last few days, and we're here for you and we'd love to support you as well uh, with that. Uh, the other thing is, though, it, it's been terribly sad, but I've also found it, I, I found it quite amazing as well. I've been on this planet 42 years, believe it or not. I've never heard Jesus spoken about as much in the news. It's been brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I am so sad that we've lost one of the most powerful and prominent evangelists. But I am so grateful that she took every opportunity to point people to Jesus. And tomorrow, as you know, is a big day. Um, Gavin Calver, who is CEO of the Evangelical Alliance, tweeted this on Friday. Uh, He said this, if you can read that from there. Monday's funeral could be one of the greatest evangelistic moments any of us could ever know. Praying for a clear focus on the King of Kings that the Queen served, praying for massive anointing on Justin Welby as he ministers, and praying for hearts and minds all over the globe to be impacted. Be praying tomorrow. Be praying today. Tomorrow's going to be huge. It's going to be sad, but it's going to be the most amazing celebration of a life so well lived. Now, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, as far as I'm aware never came to Belmont uh, while she was alive. Uh, But from what we know of her, I am convinced that she would have approved. I I really am. The style may not have been to her taste, but she would have approved. Why would she have approved? Because we do what she tried to do throughout her life. All we're trying to do at Belmont, if you're new to us today, is we're trying to point and show people the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Our language we use, we talk about sharing the story uh, and living the life. Uh, Different things happen on a Sunday, different things happen in the week, but we're about pointing people towards uh, Jesus, just like Her Majesty. Uh, And if you're new to Exeter and Belmont, you're welcome, but I can imagine if you've landed in the last 10 days, it probably just feels really, really strange. Uh, But you are welcome, and please do stay, as Jen and others said. Now, back in June, uh, we started this series, Come and See. We left it. We came back to it last week, um, but we kind of moved away from John 2, where we were slightly, for understandable reasons. But we're back in it now for the next few weeks. So we're back in John's Gospel, and we're on John chapter 3 this morning. 
Now, one of the striking things about John's gospel, if you don't know it, is there's lots and lots of one-to-one conversations uh, that happen. Uh, And we see Jesus meeting a variety of different people in one-to-one settings. So Jesus, so far, if you remember back to chapter 1, Jesus had a conversation with a skeptical Nathaniel. In John chapter 2, he's at a wedding in Cana. And during that wedding, we see like a... Uh, we see his, him having this one-to-one conversation with his bewildered mother. And what we're going to see in the coming weeks is we're going to see more and more and more of these one-to-one conversations that Jesus has with people. We get these really intimate um, look. Often we think of Jesus as just speaking to massive crowds, but he speaks to individuals. And when he speaks to individuals, often we learn more about his core teaching. We see a little bit more of his personality uh, as well, I think. And, and Jesus, in these conversations... Um, answers some of the biggest questions there are. Now, I'm not just talking about Brexit and things like that. I'm talking about big questions, proper big questions. What's the world for? Uh, What's wrong with it? These questions are answered, I think, in John's Gospel. What, if anything, can make it right? Uh, How can we be part of making it right? Where have I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Those are proper questions, okay? Not what are you doing on Saturday? Big questions. If you are interested in any of those big questions, uh, then you are in the right place because we are going to look at those questions in the coming weeks. Um, Now, some of you online, uh, welcome online if you're with us still, um, and in the room, you might remember these two. Oh, yeah. And some of you have no idea because this is from the 80s and 90s. That's how old I am. Um, That is... Mel Smith and Griff Rhys-Jones, who came up with this imaginative title for their duo, Smith and Jones. And um, in the 80s and 90s, they had a comedy sketch show, which again had another amazingly imaginatively titled, uh, Alas, Smith and Jones. Uh, They had a number of sketches within that show, uh, but the most famous one is that one. I wonder if some of you remember that, where they simply sat opposite one another and just talked, uh, and they tried to make people laugh. Uh, We're about to read John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, in my mind, we have a more serious version of Smith and Jones. We see them sat, well, well, to be honest, the passage doesn't tell us how they sit, so this is just my guess. We're about to read a really intimate moment. Chris, who is also helping on the Alpha course, is going to come and read John 3, 1 to 21 for us now. It's a Out of passages in the Bible, it's very well known. Um, If you've got a phone or an app on the phone, scroll to it. If you've got a Bible in front of you, look at it. Uh, I'm going to put it on screen as well. But we're going to read John chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. Um, Just watch the back and forward as we go. Come on, Chris, you can can do this. I'll put it on the screen. Um, And see what you make of this intimate conversation. This is not Jesus to a massive crowd. This is one to one. Thanks, Chris. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit 
gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Thanks, Chris. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. Thank you that we can read them uh, without fear of persecution now. Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for them. Please, please help us to understand them in the time we have together. But more importantly, help us to live them and share them, we pray. Amen. John is the author of this gospel. And um, there's a picture of him on the right, exactly like that. He's, he's great. No. Um, while he was on earth, um, he wrote this gospel. 90% of his gospel is unique. That's why they're grouped like that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, the synoptic gospels. John, it feels a little bit different. We learn things about Jesus in this gospel that we wouldn't know unless Jesus' best friend John had told us. And so uh, we come to this story of Nicodemus. You won't find Nicodemus outside of John's gospel. So we need to understand this uh, this morning. It's vital that we get this encounter. We meet him in John's gospel. We meet him here in John 3. We're going to see him very briefly in John 7 and very briefly again in John 19. We might get to that uh, at the end. So the question is, who is this guy Nicodemus who's just entered our lives uh, for a few moments? Well, the Bible told us who he was, didn't it? Right away, straight at that passage, uh, we learn that he's a Pharisee. If you were a Pharisee, it meant that you were about one of 6,000 Jewish people who've devoted your life uh, to, to religion. Uh, you're also, uh, he was also a member of the Jewish ruling council, it says there. And Jesus says what say, he says a bit later on in verse 10. He says, you're Israel's teacher, Nicodemus. 
Um, this guy is impressive. Okay, if you want a modern, this guy is like a bishop, an MP, and a professor of theology rolled into one. Um, his mother is proud of him. Let's get this picture of him. He's probably rich as well. Let's be honest. He's a two-car family person. Detached house, St. Leonard's or Topsham, membership of David Lloyd, executive boxer, Exeter Chiefs, Waitrose, not Little. Um, have we got the idea about Nicodemus? This is one of life's winners, and um, he gets an audience with Jesus. Um, But despite the power, despite the wealth, um, I don't think everything's as it seems. We can often think that power and wealth is the solution, but it's not, is it? Have a look at verse 2. This incredibly successful man comes to Jesus, but he comes at night. Uh, In the coming weeks as we go through John's gospel, don't forget about night and light and dark and day. There's loads of it in there. Just watch it as it comes up week after week. And him coming at night, I think, is an indication uh, that he is firstly intrigued by Jesus. Jesus is um, intrigued, but he's intriguing, but he's also controversial. He comes at night because ultimately he doesn't want to be, lose his religious status. He's one of these 6,000. He doesn't He can't be seen with Jesus, so I'll come at night. And I'm coming at night because I I do need to see him because he's saying things that are making me deeply uneasy. And right away, I reckon that we see part of Nicodemus' problem as he opens his mouth. As the first three words tumble out of his mouth, I think we see two problems straight away, personally. Firstly, he calls him rabbi. If you know what a rabbi is, rabbi is a Jewish teacher, which is a pretty strange start, isn't it? Hang on, he's been to... College, university, he's got the gown and the pat, the qualifications. Jesus, in educational terms, has nothing. No PGC. He's got literally nothing. But Nicodemus calls him rabbi. Many of you will know that's, that's not even close, rabbi. It's not even close. That's the first problem. He doesn't know who he's talking to. He's talking to the Son of God. And then what tumbles out of his mouth, I'm not sure the next two words you should say to Jesus are, we know. Jesus, we know. I wonder what would you do if you were sat in this place and you saw you got an audience with Jesus? Is the first thing you do is make an assertion? I, don't, I, I think, wouldn't it be great if you asked him a question? But he goes, We know. No, 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 no. I wonder sometimes if that's a bit of a problem in terms of like prayer, because prayer is with, with the Almighty. And it's really good to, in prayer to say, uh, Lord, Lord, I, I know this, I, I know want this, but it can be dangerous as well, can't it? Jesus, I, I know that I'm meant to be in this job. Jesus, I know this is meant to happen. Jesus, I know. I wonder sometimes if we're better just to listen. I wonder sometimes if we tell Jesus things, and actually, this is, Nicodemus is opposite, opposite the Son of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Just listen. What does people say at primary school? Two of them, one of them. I wonder if that's a a moment for us. Nicodemus opens with these three words. uh, And then he's complimentary, isn't he, to Jesus? He says, oh, we know you're a teacher from God. Oh, it could only be uh, from God if if you're doing things like this. Now, in our culture, often what happens is when someone gives a compliment, someone, but, ah, yeah. And so Nicodemus asks this in verse 2. Nicodemus, uh, Jesus then doesn't go, ah, Back at you, Nicodemus. Well done. You're a great guy too. Have a look at verse 3. Verse 3 says this. I think Jesus is, I don't think he's rude, but I think he's probably pretty forceful and direct. Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, if that verse had a noise at the end of it, it would go like, 
It's an absolute moment when the bottom falls out of this guy's world. Uh, in modern terms, it's called a mic drop moment. Literally, everything changes for Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, in vo- verse 4, um, he says this. No, he doesn't say that. Um, but he is just completely thrown by what's going on. Uh, verse 4 actually says this. It says, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Uh, Nicodemus is, has no idea what's going on because Jesus has just dropped this phrase uh, about being born again. And the rest of the passage is quite simply about the why, the what, and the how of being born again. Now, the phrase born again Christian can mean many things to many people. Um, To be honest, the last few years, Christians have shied away, I think, from this phrase. Uh, In the 70s and the 80s, I think what happened is there were many stereotypes that caused a lot of confusion. So Christians have sort of steered clear of talking about being a born-again Christian. The reality is, though, is there's only one type of Christian. And that type of Christian is a born-again Christian. That's all there is. Um, But Nicodemus can't get his head around this. He is one of life's winners. He's got the qualifications. He's got the badges. If anyone should be pleased with, if God should be pleased with any person on the planet, he should be pleased with me. This guy probably knows the first five books of the Old Testament off by heart by this point. But Jesus says, no. Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. And he just can't process this. Why do I, Nicodemus, this is what I think he's saying, why do I need to be born again? Well, I think he's got what I'd like to call um, leak table syndrome. Uh, Leak table syndrome uh, is something that I think many human beings uh, have in this world. And they think that heaven is a little bit like a leak table. And that at the end of time, God is going to rank all humans. And if we are above average, we're getting in. If we don't commit heinous crimes... Uh, will be all right. If you do, you're not getting in. If we do enough good deeds, then we will climb to a certain point in that table and any good God would let us in. I think that's the way that many people live their life. I really do. Uh, and whilst that is a nice thought in some ways, I, I, well, no, it's not. I don't think it is a nice thought. If you know someone who lives like that, or if even, I dare say, you're sat there thinking that I, I can do some, I can get above that line and I can get into heaven at the end... What a life that must be for you, because you're not going to have any peace, are you? How are you going to know? You're just going to be like struggling and striving all the time to get above that line. I don't think that worldview makes sense, and it's certainly not uh, what the Bible tells us the kingdom of God is actually like. The Bible tells us that the future, if you follow Jesus, the future with Jesus in heaven is the most amazing place ever. Honestly, it's bonkers good. There will be no fighting, there'll be no fear, there'll be no farewells, and there won't be any funerals. There's not going to be broken homes, there's not going to be broken hearts either. You're not going to have any hospitals there, and no one will have house keys. It's going to be an amazing place. It's going to be the place, uh, a place the way God wants it to be. Why? Because the people will be the way God wants them to be. It's going to be incredible. You don't want to miss that party. No one will want to miss that party. But that's where the problem is, isn't it? That's a problem for Nicodemus. That's a problem for me. That's a problem. It was a problem for Her Majesty the Queen too. Because we'd spoil it, wouldn't we? Even if you were above your own line, in that place that the Bible talks about, 
you would wreck it. I would wreck it. You see, the Bible talks about heaven as being a place of no tears. I make people cry at times. Not, not proudly, but just the reality of some of the things I do. Heaven is also going to be a place of harmony. I don't know about you, but I fall out with people at times. Heaven is also going to be a place of truth. I tell lies at times. And if you're honest, I reckon you probably, I think you're like me too. Nicodemus can't get into the kingdom of God. I can't get into the kingdom of God. You can't get into the kingdom of God unless there is some sort of miracle. The Bible tells it elsewhere. It says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. No one is good. No one is innocent. We can't get to this kingdom of God, Nicodemus. We can't do it unless there's a miracle, Nicodemus. Unless something fundamentally changes. And here's the good news. Jesus then goes to say, it doesn't stop at verse 3. No, you can't. See you later. Thankfully, it goes on. And Jesus says a few more things. Jesus says that, it is actually possible to be born again. Now, it's not physically possible. Don't panic, uh, mothers in this room. It's not possible to be physically born again. But it is possible in a spiritual sense. Now, Nicodemus can't try any harder. Um, he's doing his best. He's jumping through ev- every hoop. What Nicodemus needs is a miracle. It, the only way that he can change, really, essentially, is if he has a heart transplant. If something in his heart changes so he no longer wants to put himself first at times and he wants to put God's put God first at times. And here's the great news. And Nicodemus, if his, if his, his Pharisee cogs are working, um, should know back to Ezekiel chapter 36. Because God says, do you know what? I'm going to offer you a heart transplant. I'm going to offer you a new spirit and a new heart. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. Please notice there uh, the word I, I will. This is God's work. It's not our work. Um, God does this miracle. God promised that one day he'd do a miracle in the lives of his people, that he'd give us a new heart so that we can essentially start again. And it's so radical that that it's it's like second birth, essentially. This new heart's going to help us see God for who he is. This world tells us at times that God is bad, that God is, don't follow God. He's not got your best interests at heart, but this new heart shows us that God loves us. He knows us. He cares for us. He made us. And a Christian, when they follow Jesus, they get this new heart, and suddenly they see things, the world, a little bit differently. It's not someone, a follower of Jesus is not someone gritting their teeth. I am going to go to church on Sunday morning. I am going to try and follow the rules this week. That's not what it is. Following Jesus is about having a living relationship with the God who made you, who knows you, and loves you. And this new heart changes our deepest longings from, from being about ourselves to God. But some of you are probably going, well, just stop a sec, please don't mishear that. Christians aren't perfect. There's not like in Drew's little office over there, there's not a programming switch that reprograms us to follow God every week. It's not like that at all at the flick of a switch. When you follow Jesus, you get this new heart, And then we continually kind of, and we do this together now and in home groups, we're feeling our way into this new relationship with God. That's what this is about. He needs a new heart, and only Jesus knows how he's going to get it. And so Jesus talks about this, but it's only someone else who can do this. Nicodemus can't do this. It's not our our works. Um, But but throughout this conversation, we're back where we started, aren't we? Because Nicodemus, again, in verse 9, is like, 
it's literally his whole life has just been pulled apart in a few sentences. But Nicodemus has just been told, no, you can't enter the kingdom of God, you've fallen short, doesn't matter about your good works. But it is possible to live a new life uh, for God. So, so Nicodemus is like, please tell me, please tell me. How, he's probably still thinking, what do I need to do? Still probably in the wrong place. But anyway, here's what happens next, is that Jesus starts to tell about this new birth, new spirit, and how it actually happens. Um, but before he does, Jesus does hammer it home. Nicodemus, you do know that no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. So what, or how does this actually happen? Well, it's not another physical birth, as we said, but actually just thinking about birth will help us. Um, here's just a question for you. How much does a baby contribute to being born? Uh, yeah, not, not a lot, is there? I didn't say, Mom, I'm coming, I'm putting... Baby doesn't contribute, do they? They do not contribute. And it's the same with new birth. You're not born by your own works. But you are born by someone's works. I am the father of two children, Jack and Lucy. And when they were born, someone in the room was doing a lot of work. Someone in that room was in an awful lot of pain. Hannah, squeeze my... No, no, no. (laughs) Don't even go there. Uh, When it comes to birth, we may tell ourselves, uh, gentlemen, that we're contributing. But there's one person who gives it everything, isn't there? There's one person who is, who, is in su- who is suffering. Every child who is being born into this world is being born through the pain and suffering of somebody else, the mother. Now, I think nowadays we're a little bit numb to this because we live in the age of hospitals. We live in the age of epidurals. We live in the age of pain relief, anesthetics. But just rewind a few years when life was very, very different... It's not wrong to say that giving birth was incredibly risky. It would be costly, and it would often cost the mother's life to give birth. It's the same with new birth. Being born again does involve a cost. What is that cost? Well, Jesus tells that cost, and if he's listening carefully, he'll get it. Because Jesus references in the verses afterwards something from Numbers chapter 21. Now, I'm not expecting it all to be like efficient in Numbers chapter 21, but there's these verses 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, what's that about? We'll find out in a second. So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, Jesus here is referencing from Numbers 21, a pretty terrifying story. The Israelites are in the desert. They turn their backs on God. And as a result of their rebellion, snakes come into their camp. And these snakes poisoned many of them. Uh, Once the snakes got in, they they bit people. People got a fever. They had convulsions. Uh, They had this thirst they couldn't quench. And and many would die. Uh, But enter Moses. God tells Moses, what I want you to do is I want you to get a, a pole, and on the top of that pole, I want you to put a bronze snake. You can read it in Numbers 21 later. And here's what's going to happen, Moses. You want you to hold that pole up, and people who look to that snake, that bronze snake on the top of the pole, people who look to that lifted up snake, they're going to be all, all right. And we'll read that they were healed. Those who looked at the snake on the pole were healed. Look at that verse again. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man 
must be lifted up. Son of, the Ma- Son of Man, by the way, is a way that Jesus refers to himself about 70 times in the gospel. It's also in Daniel chapter 7 as well. What is this lifted up about? It's, it's about this, isn't it? This is Jesus referencing what's coming next. Nicodemus thinks that if I do enough of my things, if I, I'm really good, and if I do... No. Nicodemus, this is going to change everything in a few, just a few short years' time. My death will change everything. And so Nicodemus is, is, is thrown here. He needs new birth, and he wants it to be his own works, but the only way that people get new birth is, is through this, through someone else's works, through Jesus' works. And all Nicodemus has to do, and all anyone has to do, ever, right now, future, is to look to Jesus, to trust in what happens on the cross when he dies and rises again, and then you'll see the kingdom of God. And that's an amazing thing, but it's blown him out of the water. And just, just very quickly, do you, do you ever, I appreciate some people may have never, if you're here for the first time, you're so welcome, you may never have come across John 3. I'm, I'm also aware that there may be many people in this room who this is like the 5,000th time you've read John chapter 3. Have you ever wondered like, why Jesus kind of, why do you liken yourself to a snake? It feels like. It's a, it's, a, it's a strange kind of link, isn't it? I, I think. I think it's quite complex, but here's what I think goes on in both of those stories. You see, the very thing that brings about our death actually brings about our life. You see, if the Israelites looked to the snake that brought them death, they'd get life. If we look to the cross with Jesus on it, and we know that song, Jesus has his, our sin upon his shoulders, then our sin which brings death, that thing with Jesus with our sin on it, actually brings us life. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of of God. Now that might be a bit complex there, but Jesus spells it out beautifully, doesn't he? <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17 goes on to say that, that Jesus comes to save the world, not to condemn it. That is mind blowing. If you've stumbled on us online and you're here once, just you're loved. You're loved so much by the God of the universe. The God of the universe came down in flesh. He sat with individuals, and then he died on a cross, and he rose again. And he changes everything. And if we trust in him, if we put our faith in him, he'll give us this new heart so we can start to live in the way that pleases him and trust him. I wonder if the band want to come come up a sec. We're going to finish in a moment um, with a couple of songs. But... We see this encounter. If you stopped at the end of 21, you'd be like, oh, what happened? Because the last bit, I was doing this back and forward when we were reading it, just so you could see who was speaking. Jesus speaks for a period of time, and he doesn't say anything, and he disappears. It's like, what happens next? John 7, you get a little bit of a clue. He kind of semi-stands up for Jesus in a, in a kind of a, a, a Jewish teacher's moment. John 19, though, uh, I'm going to do a spoiler. I don't know if I'm speaking on this passage later, but this is important. John 19, 
I think we know what happens. I think we learn how he responds. With Pilate's permission, he, Joseph of Arimathea, came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. This is in broad daylight, by the way. This is not at night. The man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, taking Jesus' body. The two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. Now, Nicodemus originally goes to Jesus at night. Now in John 19, he wants to be associated with Jesus. I'll carry Jesus' body and I'll do it in broad daylights. And if you don't believe me that he's turned to be a follower of Jesus, you need to know this detail, which you may not have spotted. He brought a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about 75 pounds. Okay, if you probably can't see that, it's maybe not registered. Okay, when you normally buried someone in Jewish tradition, you would take two bags of sugar of, well, no, myrrh and alloys, same way. That's what you would take to bury a person. He takes 75 pounds to bury the Lord Jesus Christ. This is 40 litres of compost, which is 65 pounds. There's more than this. And Nicodemus buries Jesus with that much. Do you see what's happening here? Nicodemus is burying his king. 75 pounds was the amount that they used to bury royalty. Suddenly, Nicodemus realizes that this man on a cross is king. And he's Nicodemus' king. And he wants to serve him. He wants to follow him. It's the most graphic picture of a life changed. Tomorrow we bury our queen. And we have seen down the years and in sharp focus over the past 10 days, there's no doubt about the identity of the king that she served. Is the question which I finish with uh, for you. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, are you going to be Nicodemus chapter 3? Or are you going to be Nicodemus chapter 19? Are you going to be a broad daylight follower of Jesus? Or are you going to hide in the dark? Are you going to be a 75 pound follower of Jesus? Or are you going to be a 5 pound follower of Jesus? And if you don't know who Jesus is, do you know how much you loved? Someone got on a cross for you and died for you. And Jesus paid the ultimate price to get you back. I saw this quote in the summer. I'll leave you with this. I don't know who said it. Said this, Jesus is worth everything you're afraid of losing. John chapter 3, I don't think he knows that. John chapter 19, he definitely knows that. People need to know about what Jesus did. Our Alpha course starts in a few days. Shall we invite as many as we can to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're in the business of transforming lives. And thank you that you transform Nicodemus. Thank you that he went from a five-pound follower to being a 75-pound follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he came out of the dark and came in the light. And we thank you for this cross that's in front of us. Father, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves New birth is your work. We thank you for it. Thank you that Jesus died and rose again. Father, please help us to share the story, to live the life, to look to Jesus, to listen to Jesus, and to follow him with more energy and more vigor for the rest of our days, we pray. Amen.
Hola.